The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Father in heaven, we do come and we give you praise and thanks that we can enter into your presence in Jesus' name, knowing that as we considered earlier the fact that our sins are forgiven, that is so substantial that it isn't just Uh, the fact that we get to go to heaven one day, but we actually have access to heaven now because in Jesus' name, you listen to us. In Jesus' name, we can call you Father and Him brother. It's in and through and by His name that we come to you. And so we ask now, that you would hear our prayers and you would do what you love to do more than anything else, and that is to help your children get to know you better, to delight in them and them in you. And so we ask that you would send your spirit, the third person of the Trinity, equal with you and the Son in power and in glory, and you would send him now that we would hear and understand and know. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand out of reverence for God who is speaking to us through his word, looking at Luke chapter 11, uh, the first 13 verses. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day your daily bread, our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give anything because his friend, because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Praying puts us at risk of getting involved in God's conditions. Be slow to pray. Praying most often doesn't get us what we want, but what God wants. Something quite at variance with what we conceive to be in our best interest. Eugene Peterson. Prayer, we think, is all about us. Because, let's face it, we're radically self-referenced. We believe everything is really about us, and we reference the world off of us. 
How is this going to inconvenience me? How is this going to benefit uh, me? What am I going to get out of this? What's the ROI on this? Is there any return on the investment that I've got uh, in all of this? What is it going to do for me? And we bring that same perspective into prayer. And the reality is what Peterson was saying. Be careful. Prayer actually radically orients you towards God and to what he is about and who he is. And then we begin to understand ourselves in comparison to that. St. Augustine, or Augustine, as a professor said, St. Augustine is in Florida, St. Augustine is in heaven. Uh, Augustine <laughs> said, what can be more excellent than prayer? What is more profitable to our life? What's sweeter to our souls? What more sublime in the course of our whole life than the practice of prayer? I'm sure you could have written that this morning in your prayer journal. What more sublime? than to wake early and to seek my Father in prayer? What more wonderful than to consider my God and my relationship to him? What we're going to look at today is that prayer should be sublime. It should be sweet. And it should be at the very heart of the Christian life. And so the first thing that we're going to look at, and there's some familiarity on this passage. We looked at it uh, some of you are going, oh, I remember this, and wow, if you do, great. It was over two years ago that we looked at this passage, but we're going to look at it again. And the first thing we're going to look at is the fact that prayer is important in the Christian life. What Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 11 is that prayer is important in the Christian life. This was at the beginning of his time of discipleship uh, with the uh, disciples. And by the way, remember what the word disciple means. A disciple means to follow. And to say that you are a Christian means that you are a Christ follower. That you are walking behind him and learning uh, how to step and to walk with a cadence similar to him. Your movements and your inflections in speech, uh, your vocabulary, the vernacular that you have, all of the different things, the way that you view and perceive the world. As you are walking behind Christ, not only are you looking at Christ, and that's important to see Christ in all of his beauty and glory. But what I also want you to do is to look through Christ and to begin to see as if he was a prism that begins to open up the world and refract it in a way that our eyes can't. I am blind as can be. I have astigmatism. I have nearsightedness. I had LASIK surgery years ago, and it lasted for a little while. I've had torn retinas. I've had all kinds of fun things because these eyes don't see properly. And so I have to have something help me look and refract the world properly to bring it into focus. Christ is that for the Christian. We look at him, we look at his word, we look through him, and through him we see the world. Through him we see all the beauty and all the brokenness and all the hopefulness. We understand things by looking at him and through him into the world. And this Christ said, it's important to know how to pray. I'm a simple man. I'm not all that complex. 
And if Jesus Christ says, hey, this is important, guess what? It's important. If he says you need to learn how to pray, and I'm going to take time out of my schedule to pause to teach you how to pray, it means that we need to know how to pray. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great Presbyterian pastor in London during World War II. And by the way, I give you certain names, and uh, I hope that you'll jot them down a little bit, and you'll go back and listen to some of these men that I mentioned. Primarily, I mentioned men uh, that are pastors and preachers to me. To go back and to listen to Lloyd-Jones, who preached during the war, and to hear him as he would pray at London at night as the bombs were going down and yet uh, the church still met. And he said, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest upon his knees. He comes face to face with God. When man is speaking to God, he is at his acme. It is the highest activity of the human soul, and therefore it is at the same time the ultimate test of a man's true spiritual condition. There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people as much as our prayer life. Pause. Let me repeat that one. Now, he's a fallible individual, but this carries weight. There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people as much as our prayer life. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Hmm. But Jesus said prayer is important. Prayer is essential. And he gave us a pattern of prayer. What he says in this view of the Lord's Prayer and others when he teaches on it, he doesn't say pray this. He says when you pray, pray like this. It's a simile. He's saying this is a pattern for you of prayer. Unfortunately, some of you come from a Roman Catholic background where the Lord's Prayer has actually become punitive and punishment. That when you send you were told, now to go do uh, ten Hail Marys uh, and ten Our Fathers. And you were to do it this way. You went, oh, I sinned, therefore I have to pray to God. No wonder prayer is poisoned within your heart, and you think that the prayer that you have to pray is this prayer. Jesus says, no, it's like this prayer. It has principles within it that I want you to understand. And so when we look at these principles and we come and we wonder at times, what am I going to say to God? I don't know what to say to him. I don't know that I have the words. There's an old hymn by William Cowper that says, Have you no words? Ah, think again. Words flow apace when you complain and fill your fellow creature's ear with the sad tale of all your care. Were half the breath thus vainly spent to heaven in supplication sent, your cheerful song would oftener be, hear what the Lord has done for me. Friends, we have no lack of vocabulary in life. We love to talk. And we love to talk about ourselves. If you don't believe it, just listen to yourself. 
Listen to how anxious you become when someone else is talking and you're not actually listening. You're preparing your response. Oh, ooh, 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 ooh. Can, are, are you done yet? Are, are, are you finished? Is there an opening? Did they take a breath? Is that a long enough pause for me to jump in and relate to them? And it's really, I just want to talk about me. And we all wrestle with it, but we always have words. The question is, do we have words for God? Well, what Jesus offers in prayer is what I will call the second point. Jesus offers for us in this prayer, not only its importance, but he offers us targets in prayer. He offers us targets, something to aim at. And I'm taking these uh, directly from uh, my friend and mentor, Randy Pope, who is the former lead pastor at Perimeter Presbyterian Church. Those of you who've been in discipling groups here at the church uh, have learned these and have hopefully helped you. And when you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, you recognize the first target, and the first target is God's honor. I'll go ahead and give you the targets, maybe you're that kind of person. It's God's honor, God's kingdom, God's provision, God's forgiveness, and God's power. There's five targets. God's honor. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So if you're wondering how to pray, Jesus says this. Pray this way. Focus on God as your holy Father, heavenly Father. He is the exalted one, El Elyon, God most high, Genesis 14. To hallow his name, not to holler his name, but to hallowed be thy name. You don't have to say it loudly. You just have to say it uh, with a reverence of El Elyon, God most high. It, it brings into our thinking the third uh, commandment that do not take the name of the Lord and the way that we have all memorized it is in vain. But what that word in Hebrew actually means is do not take the name of God lightly. Do not empty it of its glory, its weightiness. Do not empty God's name of the very essence of the name that it is, like He is something small and near in that way. And we take His name in vain when we say, oh, I'm a follower of Christ. And we lighten it by the way that we live. But in prayer, it is lifting up and speaking to God in a way that lets all of those know who are around you who may hear you pray, but especially to the one to whom we pray to go, hallowed be your name. Have you ever been around a person like that? When you listen to them pray, there was a gentleman in our church in Rock Hill, and I loved to hear him pray. One, he prayed from the old King James. He was a former missionary into uh, the middle of Africa, and he was about 90 years old when I knew him. And he would pray, and I would be caught up into heaven itself when he would speak of the glory and of the power and of the transcendence of who God was. He took me with him into the very presence of God. Hallowed be your name. Would it always carry weight? If you want to know how to pray, begin there. God, today, as I come to you, would your name be hallowed in my life? Would people see within me the glory and the beauty and the weightiness and the transcendence and the otherness and the differentness and all of, all of that within the fact that I call upon your 
name today. Ah, he says, don't take it lightly. Do not gut or empty the name of God of its glory and weightiness. That's the first petition or the first target. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The second is God's kingdom. It says another target to pray is God's kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To understand this one, you have to have a proper understanding of kingdom. But we don't have time to fully uh, understand that. But what the disciples thought of kingdom was political in nature, and it's fascinating to me that the sins of the past become the sins of the present and how the American church, especially the American evangelical church, has gone back to a view of God's kingdom as political in nature. And what God is saying here is, no, you need to understand my kingdom, that my kingdom comes. And it is a kingdom not of this world. It is a kingdom that has invaded this world, has established itself in this world, is expanding within this world, and will one day, when the true king returns, take over cataclysmically this world in such a way that all who are in another kingdom, that is the kingdom opposed to God's kingdom, you understand that when you become a Christian, your citizenship changes, right? The, the point and the, and the ministry of the church is all about bringing in new citizens into the kingdom of God and to establish them and to strengthen them in their citizenship, that we were once in a different kingdom, a kingdom of darkness. But then it says that we come into his kingdom of miraculous light and of life, and we say and we pray, Lord, would your kingdom come? Would your reign in my life be seen? Would you reign today in my life? Would I understand your lordship? Would I understand your kingdomship, your kingship in my life? Would I be willing to submit myself to your rule? We love being ruled, don't we? We love being told no. We love having to come and ask for permission uh, for things. It's not that we're selfish. We just want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, because we think we know best. No problem, right? Except when you bump into the one who does know best and the one who is truly king. And so we're praying in this to focus on what is important to him. Your kingdom come. Your reign and rule over me and the world grow. When we pray your kingdom come, we pray for the salvation of non-kingdom people that we pray regularly. I hope that each of you has somewhere in your in place you work, uh, in your house, that you have a little card and there's some names of people that you are constantly praying in their life. Lord, would your kingdom come in their life? Would your kingdom penetrate into their hearts? Would you reign supreme in their life? Friends, that is the greatest good that you can do for a person who doesn't know Jesus. You know that, right? People go, oh, well, you want to proselytize others and tell them about Jesus. And our answer is, yes, we do. You want to know why? Because he's king. And he's a good king. He doesn't just want to make people's lives better. He wants to bring them into the only life that is life itself. And so we need to be praying, your kingdom come. And I hope that you know, and there's a name of people, Lord, would your kingdom come into my neighbor's life? Would your kingdom come into my loved one's life? Would your kingdom come uh, in that? Lord, would your kingdom come as you would grow your church, not just our church, 
but your church, that the ministry of the church around the world would grow and expand, that you would pray your kingdom come, that we would realize and know that your realization of your kingdom in the universe would be seen. Friends, that's why we pray, and we're going to look at the end of this series in August talking about that, but we pray Maranatha. We pray, Lord, come back, King, return. That's what Lewis was talking about. Oh, that Aslan would return and that winter and the spell of it would be broken and that spring would break forth. That's what we want is the return of our king. And that we pray that your kingdom would come and that the rule of your kingdom would be intensified in our lives. You ever thought about that, that little tagline at the end there? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You ever thought for a moment what his will is done like in heaven? Can you imagine it's anything like us? The angels and all the, all the saints who are with him when Jesus says, hey, I need you to go do that. They're like, ah, you know, I'm going to consider that. I'll take that under advisement. I'm not sure that's a great benefit to me. Oh, and it's a little challenging. I, I'm not sure I'm properly equipped for that. No, his will is done immediately, perfectly, and joyfully in heaven. And when you pray this prayer, you are saying, Lord, would that be the case in me? Would I do your will immediately and with as much perfection as I can, knowing that I'm sinful, but I would go out and obey, and that I would do it with joy in the middle of it? Target three, God's provision. God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. We focus on his provision to meet our needs, knowing that this prayer is conditional. You know that. This prayer is conditional. Here's the first condition, and it is one that is hard for us to swallow. God owes you nothing. God owes us nothing. We want to hold him to account. That's not fair. It's every parent's refrain when their child goes, that's not fair. And the refrain, almost universally, should be this. You don't want fair. You don't want fair. And so the fact of the matter is God owes us nothing. One of the other conditions is that our prayers should be generated from a pure heart, 1 John 3, 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing to him. It doesn't mean that if you live a perfect life, everything that you do uh, comes about. And some of you have lived incredibly righteous lives, and what you've seen is prayers that you've prayed haven't come true. But it does say that there's something about purity of heart and a righteousness that there is there, that our requests are in accordance with God's revealed will that our requests are in accordance with God's revealed will, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he answers us. It's not the prayer of 18-year-old Bill McCutcheon on Thursday nights in college. Lord, would you forgive me for everything I'm going to do this weekend? I wasn't praying according to his will. I didn't want his will in my life. I just wanted forgiveness. Lord, would you, I, I hear it from people, Lord, would you bless this relationship even though I know that I'm a follower of you and this person is not a follower of you and that your word explicitly says uh, that we're not to be bound in this way, but God, I really hope that you'll bless this. 
I really hope that you'll do this. God, I hope that in my business transactions, even though I'm not doing this, God, I hope that you'll bless the finances of my family, even though I don't tithe to you. I'm not a good steward. God, I pray that you would bless, bless, bless. Now, I don't want to be according to your will, but I sure would love your blessing in the middle of it, and that we ask in faith, Matthew 21, 22, and all things that you ask in prayer, believing, believing you'll receive. We believe God can and will answer prayers. By the way, friends, when you are praying this, I don't know where I read this, picked it up somewhere along the way. Praying for God's provision, Lord, would you provide, is not simply aiming your worries towards heaven. Prayer is not your fretting before God. It is not your worrisomeness. It is not your, your looking back. It is not just turning to him and worrying. It is turning to him in confidence to go, God, I give you my worries, but I know you can and will provide for me. This is our confidence in prayer, that he's a good father, and he loves to give good gifts to his children. Fourth target, God's forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. All I'll say here is we're going to work on this one later uh, in the summer, is that God expects his followers to focus on our need of grace. We focus on our need of grace, and God further expects his followers to extend grace and forgiveness to those who are around us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass uh, against us. That kind of language. We will look at this, as I said, later this summer. The fifth target, God's power, and deliver us from the evil one so that we may not be led into temptation is a better way of understanding Deliver us from evil. Many of us read and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And lead us not into temptation. Friends, that's a misstatement. Here's why we know that. God never leads his children into temptation. But what we need is the God who is powerful enough to give us the strength to withstand the temptations that we have within our lives Martin Luther said, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And so when we pray, God, boy, I'm having a really rough time uh, with pick a, pick a sin pattern. I'm having a really difficult time with lust. Maybe you shouldn't go to the beach so much. God, I'm really having a difficult time with purity on my a computer, and I would come to you and say, well, have you put on any kind of filtering system? Do you have any accountability on your uh, computer? Well, no, I, I don't have any of that. Well, God is saying, hey, when you are looking and asking for deliverance, what it also means is there's effort on our part. There's effort on our part. We have to work on this as well, uh, that we're not just simply copping out and going, well, God, I asked, I fell, you didn't uphold your end of the bargain, and we haven't done anything on our end. So the targets, the targets of prayer, God's honor, God's kingdom, God's provision, God's forgiveness, and God's power. I'll end with this this morning. There's more that we could say. But this passage in chapter 11 especially speaks of the urgency of prayer. There's the importance of prayer, there are the targets of prayer, but there's an urgency to prayer. The parable that he gives is a parable of urgency. 
We don't understand the Eastern context. We're Western and we're American. But it was of the height of embarrassment and of customary uh, just brokenness to be caught without food in your home when a guest showed up at your house. They didn't have supermarkets. You didn't run. You didn't just Amazon it overnight. You didn't get Harris Teeter to drop it off. Uh, you didn't have that. And so this neighbor was pounding on the door. I need bread. My door's shut. I'm tired. You don't understand. Company showed up. I don't have any bread. Give me some bread. Jesus says, pray that way to your heavenly Father. Bang upon the doors of heaven. Don't come, mm, uh, you know, just. And this isn't a temperament thing, by the way. Some of you going, well, that's just Bill being loud and the extrovert. I'm an introvert, and introverts just don't do that. Well, God was speaking to both introverts and extroverts when he said this, you must have an urgency in prayer to come with this sense of impudence. There's a word you haven't used this week. Of saying, God, I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. Lord, this is your church. I want you to know something about your elders. I want you to know something about your staff. And these two men and their families who are joining, there has been impudent prayer being offered to God of saying, God, you've got to bless your church. You've got to bless your church. My prayer this week, every single day, Lisa would be like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm praying. I'm praying. And my prayer, even Friday morning, was this, God, this is your church. Why would you not pour out your blessing upon this church to see this church grow, to see this church expand its ministry in this part of the world where you've placed us? God, you've got to do it. Make these men say yes. And then a few minutes later, God, you've got to do this. All the way down I-95 as we're heading to Tampa. God, do this. Do this. Do this. Because he needed to be reminded? No, I think he wanted to see the urgency with which we were praying. And friends, I think we've forgotten to be urgent in our prayer life. So my encouragement, and from this, is to be urgent and consistent and constant in your prayers. Friends, we're going to talk all summer about prayer. But I want you to know prayer is important. It is essential to the Christian life. And if you don't know how to pray, I just gave you, from the Scriptures, a simple way to pray. Wake up tomorrow morning and go, God, I pray that your name would be hallowed in my life and in this world. I pray that your kingdom would come and it would expand in this world. I ask for your provision for the things that I need today. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness that I've experienced in my life. And would I be a person who is a person of peace and offers forgiveness to others in my life. And Father, oh Father, I pray that you would keep me from the temptation that is out there to cause me to do anything to harm your name in the world. And I'm going to keep praying that and keep praying that. Does that help in prayer? I want to make sure that you have simple things to take away 
Jesus didn't make the Christian life complicated. He made it incredibly accessible. So friends, let's be a people of prayer. Here's your assignment this week for prayer. Print it in your bulletin, and you can find it online, I hope, Eric, on the student section about who's going to camp next week. Good. Ryan? Yep. There's a list of eight, 20 people who are going away to camp next week. Would you commit this week to pray for them, that these things would happen in their life, they'd see the beauty and the magnificence of God, that you'd keep them from temptation, you'd draw them to himself, that he would do all of these things. Pray, pray, pray this week. Now let us go to prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And we come banging on the doors of heaven. Sometimes we think that it's wrong to do that, but you told us to do it, so we come. And we're praying, and we're praying for your Holy Spirit, just as you taught us to. What kind of father uh, wouldn't give good gifts to his children? And we don't have the Spirit because we don't ask, so we pray that the Spirit would be poured out in our lives, in our hearts. We pray that we would see your name hallowed. We pray that we would see your kingdom come and expanded in the world and in our own lives. We pray that we would celebrate and be humbled under and strengthened through the amazing grace that is ours from the forgiveness that's in Christ. Father, we pray that you would meet all of our daily provisions and so that we would be stewards of it to be able to meet others' needs through us. And Father, that you would keep us from being led into a place that we would fall, but in the midst of temptation, we would stand firm. Would all these things be done to bring glory and honor to your name. This we pray in Christ. Amen.